God. I wish the mothers who carried us in their wombs, who uh, through difficult childbirth uh, bore us, uh, through tears perhaps reared us, uh, we are very grateful uh, for the influence and the love of our mothers. Uh, if we think of anyone in the family, anyone among all of our relatives or friends, uh, I think a mother has the right to say, no one loves you like I love you. And, and that, that is very true. Would you look with me, please, at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, in the middle of that chapter, the section regarding discipline. It's a subject that the writer brings up because his readers are suffering great difficulty. And they feel that the difficulty means that God does not know about their problems, that God does not care about their problems, and that they might as well just give up on being Christians and revert back into their old way of life. Instead, the writer says, no, you don't understand. This is what fathers do. This is proof that you are children of God. Every parent disciplines the child he loves. And he describes how we should be willing to let discipline have its course and allow God to shape us to be the people we ought to be. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. You've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. I'm quoting from Proverbs 3. My son, do not... Regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, discipline comes into our lives in a variety of ways. Some of those are just the difficulties of ordinary lives as we are greeting each other between meetings. Some of us were relating each other's weeks and some were saying, this was a harder week uh, than normal. Uh, this was a tough week. And I would have to say that was true of, of my week as well. Uh, we might say uh, the things that I hope to achieve this week uh, did not uh, succeed. And so I don't feel successful this week. You might say, uh, I'm having issues uh, with one of my children. I'm having to uh, work with that child particularly, and that is a disappointment to me. You could go on and on with uh, perhaps my boss at work is not pleased with me and is saying I'm behind and need to catch up. Or you could say 
work didn't go smoothly this week, and I, I wish uh, that it had been easier. Life comes at you in all directions. I had a son this week who was all excited about going to the DMV on Saturday to renew his license, and they haven't had Saturday hours since 2015. So uh, he's about to have an expired driver's license in a couple of days. This will be fun when he tries to get off work during busy season and, and see if he can possibly get a driver's license to be able to drive to work. It, it just is amazing how things you want to do don't necessarily happen, as much as he would have loved to have spent a Saturday in the DMV. He's disappointed that he didn't succeed in doing that. And we say sometimes, does God know what's happening in my life? Does God understand the difficulties in my life? And, and certainly, yes. But there's actually some proactive discipline that God places into our lives. He himself disciplines us. He brings Scripture to our minds. He sometimes prevents us from doing things that we should not do. He sometimes makes it clear to us he's disappointed in us and the choices that we have made. And we feel his sense of discipline. When he brings up the illustration, we've all had fathers who have disciplined us. We respected them. How much more so should we be respecting the father of spirits and live and let him discipline us when he decides we need it? Who wants to be corrected and turned and sent in the right direction? We all want to be independent souls. I can remember going to a, a dinner party of the extended family uh, in, in which uh, it seems like all of our siblings were there, uh, all of our spouses were there, all of our kids were there. Big uh, dinner party. And the thought was, when we were about to sit down at the table, that we would sit down where the place card had told us to sit. But the hostess of the home had a two- or three-year-old who had other ideas, and she was at that funny stage in life in which she thinks she can take over the household and decide where we're going to sit. And she threw a tantrum when we began to sit in the spaces where the place card said we were supposed to sit. And she started demanding and pointing and, and assigning us, imagine this, a little two- or three-year-old, you'll sit here and you'll sit here and you'll sit here. And we all are looking at the hostess and imagining she'll put a stop to this, she'll set this right, but she didn't. She said, I think we're all going to have to adjust so that she does not get too upset. And I'm looking at my wife, and I'm thinking, like, she has no idea what the rest of her life is going to be like. Because if she has not stopped it by now, at age two or three, she's raising a juvenile delinquent. And she was. That girl grew up to be a drug addict who abandoned her first child. I mean, you could see it at age two or three what was happening here. And it was because there was no discipline. We would all be criminals. <laughs> we would all be derelicts. We would all be horrible people were it not that we learned right from wrong, godly from ungodly, by discipline. 
And one of the ways in which God does this is with our parents. And the first line for me was my mother. She told me a story a little later in my life when I was able to remember. Uh, I can remember back to maybe age four or something. After that, I need pictures. You know, or someone to tell me the story of what I did at my two-year-old birthday party or something like that. I don't even remember that far back. But she told me a story once in which her mother was at our house. They were sitting at the dining room table conversing. And I went stomping through the dining room and went into her bedroom and slammed the door. And she says to me and tells me the story that her mother asked my mother, what is he doing? And she said, he's putting himself on timeout. Why? Well, he was off there playing with his toys. He must be upset about something. He knows that he has misbehaved. He knows he's about to be disciplined, and he's just short-circuiting that, and he's just put himself on timeout. And I was thinking, that's very interesting. This happened when I was so young, I don't even remember it. And yet I knew what was coming because I knew my mother wouldn't tolerate the attitude that I had. And I knew what was about to happen. I was about to go on timeout. Isn't it amazing that before I can even remember, my mother spoke into my life to make sure I would grow up to be the person I should be? Whoa. She was going to decide the person I was going to be. She was not going to let me beat up on my little brother. I can remember fighting with my little brother over toys and the like, and I remember being pulled away. She had this stool in the kitchen, one of those ones you could both sit on and also formed uh, stair steps to get to the high cupboards you'd go to at Thanksgiving and Christmas, those ones that are really high up there. She placed me up on the step stool, and she started going through a recipe box, a really beautiful little wooden recipe box she had inherited from her mother. And it didn't have recipe well, it had cards in it like recipes, but they weren't recipes, they were verses. And there, there were file folders, in a sense, uh, in between the sections, and there was a verse for every occasion. And vividly, I remember this discipline, she pulled out Ephesians 4.32, and she says, you're going to sit here on this stool until you memorize this verse. Be ye kind one to another. You remember Ephesians 4.32 in the King James where I, I can tell how old I was by what version I was memorizing and in the time that was King James. That verse has always been with me the rest of my life because I fought with my little brother. I wasn't going to forgive him. She was telling me you have to be tender and kind and forgiving. God has forgiven you through the work of Jesus Christ. And so you need to learn about forgiveness as well. You will grow to be like Christ. You'll be tender, you'll be kind, you'll be forgiving, and you'll sit on this stool until you learn it. If mothers and fathers discipline us for our good, and if it actually works, and we start becoming better people because of it, why are we so surprised when God allows discipline into our lives and actually is molding us and shaping us to be the kind of people that we ought to be? Why does that surprise us? Why do we resist it? Why do we say, I don't want to be disciplined? Well, he says straight out, verse 11, all discipline for the moment 
seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, and it's true, it's miserable. Who wants to be disciplined? You're embarrassed, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're saying, I don't deserve this. One time, I was a teenager by this time, my dad thought I had to pull my own weight. It was summer, we had a swimming pool in our backyard, I grew up in Upland, everybody has swimming pools. I played all summer long in the pool, and he said, you know, the leaves are getting sucked by the drain into the filter, and it's clogging the filter. Would you please skim the leaves from the pool? Would you clean out the filter? And I said, sure, I will. That night at dinner, I probably came to dinner in a wet bathing suit and barefoot and all. He probably made me put a shirt on. He announced to the whole family, all the brothers and sisters sitting at the table, go up to your room and get me a quarter. You're being fined because you did not clean the pool. First of all, I was embarrassed he was doing this in front of the whole family. Secondly, 25 cents back in 1967 was worth a lot of money to me, and I, I, I didn't want to give up my money. And he goes, go upstairs, get a quarter, you're being fined. I was so angry, I could barely eat the dinner. I had to take a walk around the block to cool off after he had disciplined me like that in front of my family. And yet it has stuck in my mind till this day, and I remember it because I was irresponsible. Isn't that interesting? If you agree to do something and you don't do it, you are irresponsible. Now, why don't we learn responsibility? It seems sorrowful in the moment. But then, I work with college students. It's amazing how students are so irresponsible. You'll say, like, it's only 750 words. It's not a hard paper. I'm not even forcing you to go to the library. Just write me 750 words on this subject. And they can't bring themselves to do it. And you say, like, where is the discipline? Where, where is the will to grow and to improve? Why do you not want to let the Lord have his way with you and develop a sense of of willingness to grow. One of the best things we ever did with our kids was to invite them to actively participate in sports. I'd grown up loving water. We had a pool that I played in my entire life. My dad bought a boat when I was young. We learned to water ski when we were young. Most of our vacations were centered around the water in some way. We were here in Southern California of a beach. We loved water, so I taught my kids to love water as well. My wife was exactly the opposite. She had a river in her town in Bolivia where she grew up and saw her best friend drown when she was in sixth grade. And so she was terrified of water her entire life. So consequently, as early as my kids could be in swimming lessons, they were in swimming lessons. It wasn't just one session per summer. It was how many sessions can we fit in in a summer? So just like I was in junior life saving before I could barely be as tall as the uh, person who was uh, teaching me. So my kids became lifeguards and swim instructors and then coaches and then people who train other lifeguards to lifeguard. And hence, they became competitive swimmers. The interesting thing about competitive swimming is it takes sacrifice. <clears throat> In high school, uh, there are times when you will swim twice a day. When my sons swam in college, you do swim twice a day. You swim at four in the morning, you swim again in the afternoon. You'd say like, well, why are you breaking it up? Because your body can't take more than that. They swam seven miles a day. They ate 
multiple meals a day. They would have two dinners. They'd have a dinner or something around five-ish. They'd have another dinner or something around nine-ish. They were burning so many calories. They just had to eat and eat and eat. And yet, they became like Greek gods as far as their bodies were concerned. You would, you would look at them and you'd say like, that's amazing. You know, you, you'd, you'd watch their back muscles and you, you, would, you would say, astounding. And they succeeded. They did very well. One of my sons holds a state record. He holds a, a, a high school record, a college record. The, they did well in swimming. But a funny thing happened to them along the way. We were living in Iowa as I was uh, rearing the kids, and there we call it pop. It's a carbonated drink that's like Mountain Dew or A&W root beer and that kind of stuff. Growing up, they drank pop. And suddenly, no, absolutely not. And, and it was stronger than any of their friends who started dabbling in alcohol. And Dubuque has a terrible problem in alcohol. In Dubuque, there's only one city in the world that consumes more beer per capita, and that's Munich, Germany. The second place in the world is Dubuque, Iowa. So whereas their friends are drinking alcohol and the like, they're not even drinking pop. And I'm going like, what's wrong with pop? And they're going to ask carbonation. I go, what's wrong with carbonation? And they say, it'll get into your muscles and it will affect your ability to swim. And I'm going like, so you're never going to drink pop again? Well, certainly not while I'm training. If you know anything about my wife, she loves to cook. And one of the things she loves to cook is desserts. And she thinks I should finish the desserts that other people don't eat. And it's, it's, it's a horrible problem in our marriage. But the... The kids used to be fair game. You eat mom's desserts. And suddenly, we're not eating that stuff. I'm going like, this is really good stuff. I'm helping out. I'm being a good husband. I'm eating the dessert. And they're, they're never going to eat a dessert again. You go like, what is wrong with you? And it's like, I'm in training. Now, what's happening when you are disciplined is you become disciplined. In other words, as you are being shaped and conformed and as your character is becoming Christ-like or just a good American citizen in one sense, if you're, you're having your character shaped by the discipline, let's say, of your parents, your teachers, godly leaders, you gain self-discipline and you start making wise choices. And to this day, they have maintained their strictness about eating quality food and not bad, junk, yuck kind of food. And it's like, wow, what happened to them? And it's like, well, I'm not going to be unhealthy. I'm going to be healthy. And you go like, you know, most people don't have that level of discipline to be able to resist those things that aren't good for them. And, and they say like, well, I was trained, and I am not going to give that up. I'm going to be disciplined. And I'm going like, wow. The chapter began with an illustration of an endurance race. He has the concept of the Christian life being like a marathon that we run. And he says, we have to be disciplined in order to compete complete the marathon. Therefore, we have to let God have his way with us so that 
we will be trained for righteousness. Notice verse 10. He says, He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. Notice verse 11. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of God, His holiness, His righteousness, meaning that we'll be obedient to Him. You talk to the average person who thinks about Christianity, they say, well, it's all about love. God loves us. And what they mean is squishy love, which means that I get to define what ways I want God to love me, and I get to define what that means for my life. And their squishy kind of love has no bearing on what the Scripture actually says. His love was a sacrificial love that actually paid the penalty for our sins. He took our debt upon Himself and paid that debt in order for God the Father to forgive us of our sins and for us to have eternal relationship with Him. It's not a squishy kind of love, it's a sacrificial love. And he says, I want you to love me in return. And so they think, oh, well, I need to do is have warm feelings towards him. Ask your mother if it's enough to merely have warm feelings to her and then define how you want to live your life any way it goes. If you had a good mother, she would define for you what love would look like in response to the love that she has shown you. And it probably included work, pulling your weight in the home, for example, doing things to make the home function. In the same way, God himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Did you hear that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If I have disciplined you for your good, part of that is so that you'll become a disciplined person who then will share in my holiness, who then will learn the peaceful fruit of righteousness because you are obedient. What's wrong with these readers is it's true, they're suffering persecution. They have converted to Christianity from Judaism, and Jews are persecuting them. They're stealing the stuff out of their homes. They're beating them up. They haven't become martyrs yet, but they're beating them up. They're causing economic deprivation. Uh, some of them have had their t homes taken away from them. It's hard persecution. But they're ready to give up on Christianity and just run back to Judaism. The whole reason they converted is because they knew that Christ was the answer, that Christ is the promised Messiah, that Christ is the Savior. But they're getting all mixed up. And he says, these difficulties are not to harm you. These difficulties are to make you better. My father was a metallurgical engineer out at Kaiser Steel, where there's now a speedway. What he did, he was in charge of quality control of six of their pipe mills, and he would actually look at the steel they were producing molecularly to make sure it had the right tensile strength, uh, the right requirements for the buyer. And he was describing to me that you wanted steel not to be brittle, but to be flexible. You wanted steel to be hard, but not so hard that it couldn't last the strain that was put on it. And so you had various mixtures. And one of the things you did to the steel is that you actually stressed it in the cooling process. And it doesn't make 
much logical sense, but it changes the steel molecularly if you, in a sense, stress the steel as it's cooling. When I heard him tell me that story, I was saying, maybe God is stressing us in the cooling process so that we have more resilience, more tensile strength, so that we're stronger and more useful to Him. And I read this passage and I say, that's exactly what he's saying. He is saying God stresses us, which we say, this is wrong. I should not be experiencing these difficulties. He must not love me. And it's exactly the opposite. He says, no, the stress is because I love you. I can show you afterwards. I have a little tiny scar here when I was a little kid. I was playing in the field near our home. Uh, tripped and fell, stuck out my hand to catch my fall, and a stick poked a hole in my hand, and it was bleeding badly. And so a couple blocks from my house, I ran as fast as I could back to my mother. She was typing a letter to someone, and I fell at her feet and held my hand up, and by now there was a pool of blood in my hand, and I was asking her to save me. And she said, just a minute, I need to finish the sentence. And she kept typing until she finished the sentence. Later on in our lives, uh, our siblings are talking about our mother and how these things went. And my sister was asking me, do you remember when mom always used to say to us when we were hurt, you're okay? And I said, yeah. Yeah, she did. She always said, you're okay. And it's a funny thing because dramatically, I thought the pool of blood meant life was ending. And she was like, I have time to finish my sentence. (laughs) You're okay. Isn't it interesting that when we say to God, the stress is unbearable, I can't handle it. He says, you're okay. I'm with you. I'm helping you through this. This stress is actually for your good. It's making you a better person if you'll respond to it properly. Let me discipline you. (sighs) What a hard concept for us to understand. And that's why he brings in these analogies. He brings in the athletic analogy of people who work hard to achieve in athletics. At one point, a different author, Paul, will argue, he says, you're not going to run in such a way not to win, are you? Run to win. Perform for God in a way that you give your very best. He gave his very best. You give your very best. And similar in this situation regarding the difficulty they're experiencing, they can't imagine any worse situation than losing their home or losing their possessions or suffering economic deprivation. And the writer writes to them and says, verse 4, and this hurts, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you go like, that was mean. That was really mean. You didn't have to say that. And he's going like, you're alive, aren't you? You're alive, aren't you? Well, let God have his way with you. Let God work in your life. Wow, wow. So what should we be doing when we're suffering all these difficulties, whether it's coming from someone who's disciplining us, like a parent, uh, whether it's coming from God, 
either directly because of sin that we've committed or disappointment that we've caused in him, or if it's just life difficulties that he's using to shape us to be better people, what should we do? We should say to ourselves, he knows best, he knows what I need, he has a plan, and I should cooperate with his plan. Coaches will tell you that as they're training their athletes. They'll say, I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. I've trained many people before. Trust me in this. You'll be a better person for it. In the same way, we should say to God, I had no idea that the discipline actually was for my best and that I am the better for it. As I think back in some of uh, the discipline that Carol and I used on our five kids, and each of them was different, and you had to use different forms of discipline for each of them. Uh, at times, we thought we had some of them were more hard-headed than others and less compliant and more defiant, and we were stronger in our discipline. We wondered, like, I hope I didn't overdo it. I, I hope I haven't broken his spirit. I, I hope that he continues to love me. The ones we were hardest on love us the most are the most effusive in their praise of us and the way in which we reared them, are the most loving. There, there's one we said to, I think I spoke, spanked you every day, you know, I hope you're okay. And he goes like, I don't even remember that. And you're going like, wow, that is so cool. That, that it works, that it, you train up a child in the way he should, he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It's the right thing to do. And so he says, verse 5, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or when you're reproved by him. If someone has to come to you and say to you, you're wrong, accept it. As the president of a college, I had to occasionally go to employees or to faculty members who had done something wrong. And it's not pleasant, it is not easy, and I had to confront them and I had to reprove them. And you want them to respond and say, I understand, I was wrong. I will not do that again. You can trust me in this. If we're so proud that we can't receive discipline from the Lord through someone who has authority over us, what does that say about us? That, that saying that I'm not letting God have his way with me, I'm, I'm not submitting myself to what God wants for me. He says he does it out of love. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. I can hear my mother's voice before she spanked me saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I couldn't believe her at that point until I was spanking my kids saying the same thing. And I knew what she meant. It wasn't physical pain. It was emotional and spiritual pain saying, why are my kids disobeying? Why do they need to be spanked? Why? Can you hear the Lord saying, this is out of love. This is for your good. You are truly a son if I'm disciplining you. I have one daughter, then four sons. So I have one son-in-law. Early, in his marriage to my daughter, he was noticing that I continued to speak into the lives of my daughter and my sons, but I didn't speak into his life. 
And he complained to me about it. And he says, why aren't you disciplining me like you're disciplining your sons? And I said, because you're my son-in-law. And he goes, I don't want to be a son-in-law. I want to be your son. Now, believe this. He said, I want you to discipline me like you do the rest of your sons. Now, we're talking about grown kids here, so we're not talking about spanking at this point. We're we're talking about speaking into their lives. We're talking about reproving them when they need to be reproved, exhorting them when they need exhortation. And I actually use that sometimes. I'll say to a son who's grown, I'll say, I have an exhortation for you. This is dad's wisdom. I can remember my dad complaining openly. I heard him say this out loud when my oldest brother came to him for advice, then left, and my dad says out loud, why does he ask me for advice and then doesn't do what I, ask, what I suggest? Why would he even ask? Isn't it funny? We are all so disciplined, or excuse me, disappointed when our children, when we give them advice, that they say, oh, I hear you, but I disagree. You just go like, why, why won't you listen to me? We know that when God speaks into our lives, it means we are his children. He wouldn't do it if we were not his children. It is a sign of our relationship with him. And we should see it as love. God loves me enough that he is going to discipline me. Verse 7 tells me it is a process that takes endurance. Here's, here's a funny thing. When your kids are getting older and you're saying, we're not spanking anymore, we're going to remove privileges. Uh, with my boys, uh, they were into video games. You take anything electronic away from them, their life collapses. It's the world's end. With my daughter, there was those teenage years in which she was always on the phone with her girlfriends. Just remove phone privileges, her life collapses. You can just remove privileges and they say, how can I repent? Just tell me. Tell me how I can repent. (laughs) One of my kids creatively thought that the discipline that we were giving him lasted too long. And he said, just spank me and get it over with. (laughs) And, and, And you think like, The reason I'm not spanking you is, one, you're too old. And frankly, you need time to think this over. We don't want it to be over that quick. We want you to think about this for a while. So when he says, verse 7, it's for discipline that you endure, he's saying, I'm trying to build into you the character trait of endurance. Now, why do they need that? Because they're about to revert from Christianity and go back into Judaism. They have faith, but they don't have an enduring, resilient faith. What they need is an enduring faith. And so he says, how am I going to teach you endurance? My sons were sprinters in swimming, so they swam short distances. And so you'd say, then why swim seven miles a day? It's because it produces endurance. It gets to the point where 50 yards is nothing, 100 yards is nothing. I used to discipline my boys by asking them to do push-ups. When they were young, you know, they'd mouth off to one of their brothers 10 push-ups. By the time they were in Cub Scouts, they won the Cub Scout Olympics in, in uh, push-ups. They were, they were amazing. By the time they were older and in swimming, I'd not realize, I thought like 25 push-ups was a lot. They could rip off 100. They were giggling when I would say 25 push-ups. <laughs> He doesn't know. (laughs) And I didn't know. 
we have to learn endurance in order to have a faith that is resilient, that doesn't fall apart during difficulties. And he says, verse 8, if you're without discipline, of which you've all become partakers, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. Let me discipline you. Submit yourself to me and let me shape you to be Christ-like. Don't you want to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I have friends that share with me, as they're frustrated with God, that they get angry with God and tell him off. And with eyes as wide as saucers, I say, do you have any idea who you're mad at? And who you're talking that way to, he is God and you are not. And I know you're angry, but don't take your anger out on God. Ask yourself if it's not your fault. Ask yourself if the anger is a result of an anger of your own immaturity that needs to grow. Don't be angry at God. Submit to his discipline and you will live. Thank him for the difficulties that we've experienced in life and ask him, how would you use that in my life to make me the person you want me to be so that I can serve you as you want me to serve you? Would you pray with me? Father, some of us have suffered great disappointments and difficulties in life and perhaps are still experiencing them. And yet we wonder, do you love us? Do you know? Do you care? Why does it seem like you don't answer our prayers at times? And yet we read a passage like this and we say it is for discipline that we endure. And so, Father, as you've taught us before, you are shaping us to be more like your son. You are shaping our character. You are allowing us to grow into the people that we need to become for you. It doesn't seem pleasant, but it's a short time and we will become the people we need to be. So, Father, help us to submit to you and allow you to have your way with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.